Anybody excited to be here tonight? People raising their hand like they're still in class. Y'all, it's okay to yell in here, believe me. I say, anybody excited to be here tonight? Man, Man, I'm so excited. Um, Tonight we're starting a brand new series of talks over the next four weeks. We're going to talk about this idea of no one else. You've probably seen it on Instagram. You've maybe even shared it, maybe. And I would encourage you, if you believe what God is doing here is special and you want people and friends and, and classmates to come and be a part of it, I would encourage you to share it on Instagram, share it on Facebook, share it on Snapchat. I don't know what you're on or where you're at, but just share it. Let's get the word out about what God's doing here on Wednesday night because it seriously is incredible. No one else is simply just this that there's no one else's coming as a savior, that no one else is coming, that that, that the reality is, is we have a savior and his name is Jesus. And he came a long time ago and he died a death on a cross and he rose again for you and I to give us life and freedom, which we talked about last week. And the truth is, uh, what are we going to do about the relationship with Jesus? And not only that, but uh, do we know him? And we're going to focus for four weeks, uh, myself and Seth will be up here two of the four weeks, and we're going to focus on this idea of knowing the Savior, knowing him. So tonight, um, if you've been here in the last few weeks, I brought a chair and a table because I'm going to sit down and not yell at you all night, I promise. So as I've thought about this series, and we're going to use this phrase a lot, and it simply just says, to know Jesus is to know blank. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. I would encourage you to bring your Bible, take notes if you got one. We, we would love to uh, have you do that with us in this space. If not, stuff on, oh, trash. Blake, the trash you gave me is falling out of my pockets up here, Blake. Blake Robertson gave me this, I promise. Rude. Um, Can we just pray one more time, maybe, just so I can get on focus here like you need to? Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for every student that's come in here, every young person, every adult. God, would you just speak to us tonight in a way that only you can, that we would impact, uh, we would be impacted, and, and we would experience you tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm not sure if, uh, Dave, will you throw me that water bottle over there, too? Because I'm out of breath already. This is going to be a bad night. This is, I'm already off to a bad start. Just throw it. I can catch, I think. Used to be able to. I still can. I got it. Um, I don't know if any of you in here tonight have ever said the phrase of, um, if God can work or save so-and-so, then he can work and save anybody. Anybody ever said a phrase like that before? Man, if God can uh, do a work in, like, uh, I'll just give a practical example. If God can work and save Seth, then man, everyone can get it. God can impact and touch anyone. Anybody ever said anything like that? No one's ever said that phrase before, man. If God can do this in someone's life, he could do it and he could definitely save anyone. Yeah, a few of us have. I, I thought so. Um, and I, I just want to be honest with ourselves tonight and with all of my friends in the room tonight. I think that a lot of times, mostly good people, people that would say I'm mostly good, I do good things, I'm good most of the time, Um, enjoy talking about people that are mostly bad. Like, like the people that are just like sinning it up everywhere they they go. Like, mostly good people enjoy like, did you see what she posted on Instagram last night? Like, did you see the party that they were at the other day? Like, that's that's us mostly good people. And I hate the fact that I just put myself in that, but Mostly good people often do that. We often hold up celebrities or other people and think that they are these horrible, terrible sinners. And and we talk about their sin. We talk about, man, I would never do stuff like that. And I think we even enjoy the fact that we pray for them out of, like, pity for them. Like, pity ever saved anybody's soul. 
like pity ever changed everyone's, anyone's life. But us mostly good people, what do we do? We just talk about them and then maybe we'll pray for them or we'll have pity on them. Be like, man, they, they need God to do a work in their life. And then we finish off our vanilla bean frappe from Starbucks and we just go about the rest of our day in school. The problem with this idea of if God can save so-and-so, the issue with this is that it creates a sin rating system. It creates a scale that we rate sin on. And uh, the, thing of, the, thing, the reason this is a problem is this is a human-made system that we have created. We rate our sin. We, we scale them if they're good or bad sins. Like, like that's even a thing. And we tend to rate them and we tend to make them of less importance or more importance. I, I throw it down these things. There's probably small sin. Then there's small medium sin that's like in the middle. Then there's like medium and you're kind of getting to that edge of that line. You're like, well, this is getting dangerous out here. And then there's medium large sin. And then there's large sin. And then there's extra large sins that people are doing. It's like those people, they're so far gone. Like there's not much that they need. They need like Jesus to show up in person to get the hold of their life. And then you can go even past that, probably supersized sin, I would say. So when talking about a person that maybe we believe is dealing with what, what this human rating system that we've created of a small to medium sin, I wrote down this. This is things that we tend to think about someone dealing with a small sin. Eh, he's a good person. He probably understands morals. He understands right from wrong. He's got probably comes from a good family, and obviously he probably knows Jesus in some way. His sins are only small. It's not difficult for Jesus or God to get a hold of their life, someone dealing with small sin. If we move to a medium or maybe even really to a large sin, and we just say, these are the things that we say, man, we really need to pray for so-and-so. We really need to pray. Man, her life is on a terrible path. Like, it's really, really bad. She needs to be fixed and helped. God's going to have to do something incredible to get control of her life. That like, like God's going to have to do like, like total rock bottom type moment for her to come back to God. And then supersize, people dealing with supersize sin, which we usually make the news or the paper or Twitter or whatever you look at. These people, we just shake our heads and be like, y'all need Jesus up in here, okay? Like this, like, I got no help for you, no prayer, nothing. You just need Jesus straight. Like Jesus, like us saying you need Jesus ever gave, helped anybody overcome a sin in their life. The problem, like I said with this, is that there's nowhere in the Bible that sin grading system is found. There's nowhere in the Bible where this sin grading system is found. And here's the reason why. To God, all sin is equally evil. No matter how we scale it here on earth, to God, to the creator of the universe, all sin is equally equal. Oh, yeah, equally evil, sorry. And all sinners are equally lovable to God. All sin is equally evil and all sinners are equally lovable to God. Now, obviously, there's different earthly consequences for sin. Some sin might get you put in jail, arrested, put in jail, and you have to spend many nights and months and maybe even years in jail. Other sins... Uh, they get you a black eye and a dentist appointment. Other sins, no one notices. But the reality is, you know what God says? It's sin. It's sin. 
it's the wrongdoing, the opposite of what God is about, the opposite of what God teaches us, the opposite of who God is and his character. Now, I say all this at this point, uh, particularly because Jesus, obviously, he didn't carry this sin system either, correct? If Jesus is God here on earth, then obviously he doesn't carry the sin rating system as he's on earth. That when he did his ministry, he didn't have this system that you and I created. And he was willing to accept anyone. And ultimately means he was willing to love everyone or anyone. He was willing to love anyone or everyone and anyone. One of the best pictures we have of this is a story about a guy named Zacchaeus. You might know the song if you grew up in church. Zacchaeus is a wee little man. Don't sing it, please. I don't know it. That's why I'm not singing it. Now, in my mind, this guy named Zacchaeus, which we're going to read here in a second, he's a thug for sure. Like he is a straight-up gangster in the Bible. You want to find a gangster in the Bible, this is Zacchaeus. Like he out here just taking money from everybody. No family relationship matters to Zacchaeus. He taking your money for sure. See, the reason why is uh, Zacchaeus was a rob you and your auntie kind of guy. Like he taking money from everybody. And if you don't know Zacchaeus, he, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And even, in fact, he was a chief tax collector collector. And also, this is just a note that's going to be important later. He also was really short. That's what the Bible says. He was really, really short. So he's a tax collector, and he's really short. short. Let's go to the Word of God and read the story of Zacchaeus um, in Luke 19, uh, verses 1 through 10. And the reason why I paused earlier is because I completely forgot that I forgot my Bible. Look at me. So I'm going to read it off the screen, so if you'll just follow me in the back. Uh, verse 1, if, I'll give you a second to get to Luke 19 if you have a Bible with you. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree or a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot that he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, is too, is a, this man too is a son of Abraham. In verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The backstory of this is that tax collectors were the thieves of that time. You see, what a tax collector was, it was a Jewish man living in a, a Jewish culture that, culture that was working for the Roman government. Romans and Jews, they don't get along. So now you have a Jewish guy that is recruited by a Roman government, the big power government, and it said his job is, hey, your job is to collect taxes from the Jewish people. You're going to take their money and pay back to Rome. And that, you're like, that's not the end of the world. Okay, but what Zacchaeus did, it said that Zacchaeus was a rich man. He had tons of money. What he lacked in height, he could stand on his money and be taller than anybody. 
And, and the reason this is happening is because Zacchaeus would charge his brothers, his sisters, uh, his family, um, the Jews. He would charge them more money than they owed in taxes. And he would pay what he had to to the Roman power. And then he would keep the rest for himself. And he was good at it. He was the chief tax collector. That means he had thugs and thieves underneath him working for him. Like he's the top of this pyramid here. And the reality is, is that I don't think Zacchaeus minded being the bad guy. I think he actually enjoyed it. I think he really, really loved being the bad guy. I think that's the type of guy that Zacchaeus was when he's first on the scene here. Why, how do I know that? Why do I think that? It's because he went everywhere. I think he showed up at every event, every party, every, every church service, everything that he could. And he was like, hey, look at me. I got all my money and my big house and probably multiple girls. Like, just look at me. I'm Zacchaeus. And the scripture talks about that Jesus is coming, is passing through the town. So Zacchaeus, who he is, he's like, I have to go see this guy. Now, he was a Jew, remember. So he knew the idea of a coming Messiah, a coming Savior, that he had probably read and understood the law that the Jews knew. And he probably knew that this Jesus guy was being talked about as the Messiah. So he was curious, but also he wanted to show up because that's what Zacchaeus does at every big event anywhere. Zacchaeus shows up. So he heard he was coming, and, and Jesus was coming, and the crowds came out to see Jesus. And as the crowds came out, Zacchaeus had an issue. Remember, I told you he's short, right? What, what happens with short people in crowds? They can, she's like, I'm short. They can't see a thing. Like, you ever been to a concert when you're the shortest one there? This is, you like, this is like a waste of money. Why did I pay for this concert? I can't see nothing. And I think that's what Zacchaeus is feeling. He's like, why? Like, I can't see a thing because of my height. So Zacchaeus was a smart guy. Remember, he's like, I'll just tell you, rich people, they're normally smart, okay? There's a reason they're rich and I'm not. But, so he's smart. So what does he do? He runs up ahead and he climbs a tree so he can get over the path where Jesus is walking so that he could get a glimpse, so he could get a moment maybe, so he could get a, a, the sight of Jesus over the crowd. And to Zacchaeus's uh, probably surprise, what happened in the story is Jesus stops right underneath Zacchaeus. Like, imagine, like, you're Zacchaeus, like, you're like, why, like, why are you stopping here? Or knowing Zacchaeus, he's probably like, yes, I'm about to get to hear what he says. I'm about to get to get close to him. I'm just going to gain more stature. I'm going to gain more popularity. I'm going to be more important because I got close to this guy. And, and to his very much surprise, uh, Jesus looked straight up in that sycamore tree, and he said, uh, Zacchaeus, would you hurry down? Would you come down from the tree? I'm going to your house to stay. If we have that verse, I think it's verse 5. Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately or hurry down in another translation. I must stay at your house today. And I wrote this down and we're talking about the... The, the friendship, I believe, here between Zacchaeus and Jesus and, and the picture that it shows us. And I think that how do I know Zacchaeus is a friend of Jesus? Uh, two things happen that only friends do. They call you by your first name. Like, he never met him, but he knew, like, somehow he knew his first name. So Zacchaeus. And you know what else he did? He invites himself over to this house. You have any friends that just, like, show up at your house without you wanting them there? Like, yeah, I was like, I had friends that, like, they knew my mom and hung out with my mom and dad, like, more than I did. I'm like, why are you at my house again? Like, I don't even want to see you. Like, never mind, hang out with you. That's how I know Jesus and Zacchaeus are friends. Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, by the way, I'm coming over to your house. I know I didn't tell you. I'm just coming. That's how I know that they're friends. 
What I love here is that God, in the form of Jesus, calls Zacchaeus the notorious, legendary, gangster, sinner of the day. He calls him by his first name. He calls him by his name, not by his sin. Not by the name that everyone else calls him, tax collector. He calls him by his name. And I just have to think Zacchaeus, man, he loves this moment. He is all in on this moment. He's like, um, so he's like, okay, great. He comes down and they're running to the house. And I, I just know that he's like running down the street. And I, I'll just be honest, I didn't study the geography. I didn't study any of that stuff. If that's what you're looking for, you got the wrong guy here tonight. But, but to truly, uh, I think that he is just running down the street. And I just imagine there's houses and probably things and shacks. I don't know what they lived in, I'll be honest. But, but I just think he's yelling out to all of his friends and family and thugs and everyone he knows. He's like, bro, Jesus coming to the house. You need to come right now. Like you need to spend time with this guy. Like it's going to be incredible. Like Jesus, the maybe coming Messiah, like the guy that's a big deal he's coming to my house and that makes me a big deal so would you come with me so you know like you know his boys like i'm just being real if like jj watt calls and said he's going to kale's house i'm in kale's house first and before kale gets there probably i'm like setting up the table i don't even do the table at my house but i'm doing it at kale's house because i'm excited for this guy coming did i compare jj watt and jesus i did a little bit sorry just stay with me so so he's coming to the house, and you know that his boys and his friends and his employees probably, his family have all come, and they're there with him. And, I, and we don't really know how long Jesus is with Zacchaeus. But I'll tell you this. I don't, I don't believe it was just like a moment. Like I don't believe it was just five minutes. I bet they probably had a meal together. I probably, bet they probably hung out. They probably, he might have even stayed the night. It doesn't say exactly how long. But what, but what I believe is, is that they spent time together. They spent time together. And I just have to think to myself, there had to be a moment when Zacchaeus is sitting across the table from Jesus. And he's like, this guy listens really, really well. Because you know someone like Zacchaeus, they talking the whole time. Jesus, he's just sitting there like, yeah, I love you. Yeah, you're awesome. Yeah. You know, Zacchaeus is probably like, Dude, no one ever listens to me. I'm talking my head off. Like, I am saying everything I've ever wanted to say. And then I think not only did he have that thought in his head, but he probably had another one that says, do you think this guy really knows what I do? Like, do you think that he knows I'm a tax collector? Like, do you think he knows I'm the chief tax collector? Do you think he knows that I'm, like, the biggest gangster in the town? And even though, and, and yeah, he knew his name, so I'm sure he knew that he knew that. Even though that's what Zacchaeus thought about himself. I think that he thought, this guy wants to be at my house and be my friend. Regardless of what people thought about him, regardless of what people said about him, he wants to be at my house and be my friend. And, and he must of thought to himself during this conversation. And I, I just want to know what happened in this conversation because in verse 8, if we can bring verse 8 up, in the middle of the afternoon probably, at some point in the day, Zacchaeus stood up. Zacchaeus stood up. And he says out of nowhere, I'm changing everything. See, this is what it says in the text. Here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay them back four times. You know what that means for a chief tax collector? He's going broke. 
Like if he pays back everyone he stole from four times, he got no money left. He's broke. He got to sell his house. He got to get rid of everything. So I think in the middle of this dining room conversation with Jesus, I mean, I would love to have a dining room conversation with Jesus. I think in the middle of it, Zacchaeus stands up in front of his family, his probably his girls that have been chilling with him because he's got all the money, probably whatever you want. And then also in front of his employees, the guys that work for him that make money, uh, he makes money off of them and they make money because of him. He stands up in front of him. He says, I'm changing everything. From one conversation with Jesus at a dinner table, I believe. He said, I'm changing everything. I don't know about you, but I'm curious about what the conversation was. But the, the truth is, I think that the Bible skips the conversation on purpose. Because if it told us the conversation, what we would do as human beings, we would try to make it into a system or a graph or an outline of how we can do something better or how we can have a better relationship. I, I don't think that, the, I think the Bible skipped it on purpose because you see the answer for the reason for he's changing everything is not the words or what they talked about, but it's the person that he talked about it with. The importance of the conversation is not the stories they told, is not the directions maybe Jesus told them, is not anything that they said back and forth to each other, but it's because of the person he's having a conversation with changed everything for Zacchaeus. Jesus, a conversation with Jesus made the legendary gangster of the time stand up and say, I'm changing everything. I am changing everything. And as we've walked through this story of Zacchaeus, I just can't help but think that, that I'm Zacchaeus. That Zacchaeus in the story represents you and I. And I might not be the shortest human being on the planet. Like, I'm sure Zacchaeus was way down here, way shorter than me. But I might not lack in physical height but I promise you that I lack in spiritual height, that as a spiritual, in my own accord, in my own purposes, in my own way, I am spiritually short, and so are you. That if we left it up to ourselves, that we would be spiritually short every single time. And the truth is, because of our spiritual shortness, oftentimes we can never see past ourselves. We can never see past our distractions. We can never see past our sin. We can never see past our ego. So what do we do? Just like Zacchaeus did, we run ahead. We run faster. We get stronger. We find the biggest tree that we can climb up. We say, hey, God, would you notice me? Would you look at me? I'm awesome. I got all the money in the world. I got every girl that I could ever ask for. I got it all together. God, would you notice me? Would you notice me? And I think if we're honest, if all of us in the room are honest with ourselves tonight, we all would respond that way. And we all do at times. When we find ourselves that we feel spiritually short, then what do we do? We try to run faster. We try to run ahead. We try to climb a tree. Maybe it's a figurative tree for you. Maybe it's the tree of religion that I'm going to do more good deeds. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to do the right thing more. Or I'll just work to get God's attention. I think God is saying to us in this moment the same thing he said to Zacchaeus way back then. Would you hurry down? Would you hurry down? 
I want to be with you. I'm going to your house. I want to spend time with you. Would you hurry down? Would you hurry down from the idea of religion? Would you hurry down from the idea that my family's tradition makes me good enough? Would you hurry down from this idea that I'm, if I do enough good works, then one day I'll be in heaven? Would you hurry down from all the lies that we believe that can get us closer to God? Would you hurry down? I want to be with you, Jesus says. I said that phrase earlier, and we left a blank in it, and it says, to know Jesus is to know blank. And the reality of this story shows me that to know Jesus is to know a friend. To know Jesus is to know a friend. So if we're going to know him in this place, we have to understand that Jesus came for friendship with you and I. Regardless of what you've done. If he can be friends with Zacchaeus, he can be friends with anybody. But friendship requires us to hurry down out of our high place, to hurry down out of our pride, to hurry down out of the idea that I'm good enough, that I'm athletic enough, that I'm strong enough, that I'm fast enough, to hurry down from all the lies that the world says is what's going to get us to heaven, to hurry down from all of those into a relationship, into the presence of God, into the presence and the arms of Jesus. Jesus wants to be your friend. But being a friend requires a relationship. It requires that you spend time around the dinner table telling stories. It requires that they invite themselves over when you don't want them to come over. And I think tonight, Jesus wants you to know that he just wants to be your friend. He just wants you to hurry down so he can come over. He just wants you to surrender it all so he could come over. He just wants to be your friend. Uh, Jesus is never your accuser. He never points out. He's never judging you. He's never judging the decisions that you're making. Jesus is your friend and your rescuer. That he doesn't look at our lives and say, man, I can't believe you made that decision. Man, I'm judging you. I'm accusing you of the wrong things that you've done. No, no, no. He says, he says that, hey, I just want to be your friend. Would you let me in? Would you spend time with me? Can we just have a relationship together? I think it's our internal shame that I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. My parents said this to me or my friend said that to me. I think it's the shame that we carry in our lives that keeps us from a relationship with Jesus. So I don't know about you tonight, but why don't we hurry down from our shame? Hurry down from all the things that we're putting in the way. Hurry down from all the steps that we're taking to try to get closer to God so that you can hurry down and just be in the presence of a loving Savior named Jesus. So with no one looking around tonight, if you need to hurry down, I don't know what you're hurrying down from. I could tell you there's moments and times in my life where I need to hurry down. If you need to hurry down into the arms of a Savior, into the dining room, uh, the dining room table with the Savior, Jesus, I'm just going to ask that all of the room quietly to yourself.